Hello, and welcome to my office. I'm Carrie Lorenz. Thank you for joining me for conversations with fearless leaders from around the world. We're going to discuss the mechanics of high performance, success and failure, and what it takes to achieve more than you ever thought possible. Through the conversation ahead, I hope to challenge and inform, maybe inspire you to move fearlessly to higher levels of performance and to go further faster. And that message starts right now. Today's guest is the CEO and chairman of Anaplan, a cloud-based business planning service company. He's a tech industry veteran with over 30 years of executive leadership that includes stops at Red Hat, Cisco Systems, and IBM. He's also the author of the new book, Upstanding, How Company Character Catalyzes Loyalty, Agility, and Hypergrowth. Frank Calderoni, welcome to my office. Thank you, Carrie. It's great to be here. Oh, I'm so glad to have you joining us today. Uh, as I alluded to in the intro, you have quite a formidable um, resume shall we say. And right now you're leading uh, an organization that has has probably helped quite a few people navigate the last 12 to 14 months uh, of uncertainty and the pandemic. Why don't you share a little bit uh, with our audience today, with our listeners, what that is? So first, Carrie, let me just say thank you for having me on the program. So yes, this past year, I think for many organizations has been a challenging one you know, dealing with the pandemic, dealing with social unrest, dealing with so much change that organizations have had to deal with, but also people, right? Uh, I think we've all learned over the past year that our lives, our personal lives and our professional lives started to really blend. And then I think from an organizational perspective, what we tried to do at Anaplan is be very empathetic to that and try to accommodate as much as possible. To be honest, I was, I was quite surprised and pleased with how resilient our organization was with all that change. First, uh, did the instant move to work from home, and then also dealing with uh, some of the other complications that came up throughout the entire year. You know, and I, it kind of dives into kind of the book that I put together called Upstanding. It really talks about character. And uh, organizations, I believe, have character just like people. And when you have a set of values that really kind of guide your behavior, it helps lead the organization to really do the right thing. And, and if and as things get challenged, it, it gives you kind of a, a centering uh, vehicle to be able to um, help guide how you make decisions uh, for yourself, for the organization. And for us at Anaplan, it helped us work through a lot of those challenges. And I think as an organization and as a company, we're much better off today than we were you know, 18 months ago. So that dovetails, I think, into my curiosity around you have uh, an enormous amount of experience as as a tech industry veteran. You've worked with uh, Cisco, IBM, you've led uh, the team at Red Hat and others. And yet, I think for some people, when we hear this conversation around collaboration and culture, and then the terms like digital transformation, internet of things, can you kind of back up a little uh, and do a level set or kind of explain in layman's terms what that even means? Because outside of maybe the tech industry, I think terms like digital transformation, the internet of things, collaboration technologies gets a little mushy for some people. Yes, I, I think 
you know, the digitization is really leveraging information um, in how you really make decisions and having that in real time, I guess, is the best way to do it, to, to really put that out there. And, you know, Anaplan is a great example. We're a SaaS platform, uh, which is a planning tool that allows our customers uh, to have access to information real time so they can make their decisions and see the results of their decisions on their business outcomes. And, you know, if you, if you look at the past, uh, many organizations struggled because information data was not readily available. So they spent a tremendous amount of time trying to mine that information. And by the time they got that information, it was really too late uh, to really help them make effective decisions. So digitization really moves companies into the, you know, the current environment uh, and allows them to be more reactive. And it's extremely valuable uh, in times like we're dealing with right now where there's so much change, where you really don't have the luxury of time uh, to really kind of get at the information. You need everything in real time and you need to be very agile. So when we're thinking about the pandemic and all of the organizations uh, that you're helping through Anaplan, but individually and as a leader, how has your perspective changed after leading not only so many different technology teams, but now as the CEO leading through a global pandemic? The critical thing, you know, I, I would really kind of emphasize uh, that has been very important for me is, is the, the word empathy. Um, because you start to realize uh, with so much change and with so much um, activity that each individual is dealing with, you, you need to relate uh, to individuals and understand and appreciate that. And I think as, an, as a leader um, and also as an organization over the past year, for both our employees as well as for our customers, we've shown a tremendous amount of empathy. And I think that allows you to understand and appreciate what others are going through and then you can better relate and really help solve. Like for employees, how do, how do they deal with a lot of this change so they can uh, affect their personal life in a positive way, but also make sure that they're still energized and contributing uh, to the work environment. And from a customer standpoint, customers have gone through a lot of change. And when you can understand the change that they're going through, you can find ways to help them. Uh, and we've done a lot of that. Uh, we've had programs, what we call Anaplan Helps, as a great example, where we've offered to our customers during the early part of the pandemic uh, free use of our platform to be able to help them uh, leverage uh, that to be able to do some of the, the planning that they needed to do to make some of that change. So I, I would kind of say empathy. And if you can be more uh, empathetic, you can then respond uh, accordingly. And it builds a lot of trust and confidence, both with your employees and with your customers. That's so notable. And one of the things that I have found in my research is that under enormous amounts of stress and duress, and I think probably the last 14 months, that would hold true for a lot of a lot of teams, a lot of leaders, a lot of people, is that research actually shows us that when you're under extreme stress, you actually don't retain or even hear about 80% of the information that's coming in. And from a leadership perspective, from an organizational perspective, from a culture perspective, what are some of the common characteristics or actions that you've seen people, uh, the people you lead, the companies you work with take in order to bridge that gap? Carrie, I would, I would agree with you fully. I mean, as I said with empathy, I think listening goes hand in hand with that. 
and, and most people tend to, uh, especially in, in the world that we live in, uh, jump right to action. But listening is extremely important because I think it builds the, the level of empathy so you can then uh, have the best way to respond. When you think about character, character um, has certain qualities, values that are important as a person and also as an organization. There was a, a study that was done by MIT where they looked to kind of, they went to over a million employee uh, reviews of companies to really identify cultural values that were the highest predictors of growth. So aligned growth to success. Characteristics that came up or values that came up is agility, being able to collaborate, being able to understand and appreciate your customers, diversity and inclusion, innovation, right? Being somewhat creative in what you do, integrity, which is doing the right thing, being honest, and, and also respect. And so if you, if you think about those, those are like some of the top eight or nine. If you think of those as values, and if you then have those values understood within an organization, and you relate those values to certain behaviors that you hold within the organization as examples of success, it allows the organization to then build a character and have a character, which then leads you and the organization uh, into really making good decisions. In your new book, Upstanding, How Company Character Catalyzes Loyalty, Agility, and Hypergrowth, you write about upstanding character. We're familiar with some of those, those nine traits now, but how do you quantify that? Well, th there are several ways. I think the, the more traditional ways, of course, is to survey, um, because what you want to do is you want to get a sense for, do people feel like they belong? Do they have a purpose? Does the organization have a purpose? And then if they understand that purpose, do they feel that they belong and they resonate with that purpose? At Anaplan, uh, we're working with uh, Berkeley on a program uh, around a belonging index. And just like when uh, companies have a net promoter score, and a net promoter score is when um, companies ask their customers, would you recommend this brand? A belonging index really asks employees, do you feel like you belong at this company? And our belief is that if employees feel like they belong at Anaplan, we're making progress, right? And creating a culture that promotes inclusion and openness. And that's, that's a, a way to kind of measure uh, and get a sense for how people feel and whether they resonate uh, with your culture and also your character. Well, I love that because you are taking what some people can consider or construe as a soft, squishy, nice to have uh, feeling. Do you feel like you belong here? And you're putting the data behind it. And I think what that probably opens the door to is that so when we're thinking across all industries, so whether we're working in cybersecurity, supply chain, uh, maybe you're a business owner, when we're thinking about the actual mechanics of high performance and remaining relevant for the long term, this could give you some insight into how you can actually address the disconnect between what you say are your company's stated values and maybe even shining a light on how your leaders are showing up. Do you see it that way? Or is that just me projecting? 
No, I, I, Carrie, I do, uh, because leaders really have to, you know, we always say walk the talk, right? So they have to demonstrate, like if you, if you go back to character of an organization, and I talk about the values, leaders really have to understand and, and really buy into those values. And the way they do that is how they behave. And so we at Anaplan spend a good amount of time connecting our values to behaviors. And, and we, we, we encourage all, and especially the leaders, to behave and have the right checks and balances, right? So that there's the right level of debate and or you know, discussion, if, if that's not the case, uh, to make sure that, um, and that goes back to the openness that uh, we try to drive within the organization, to challenge people if, if those behaviors are not being met. So this kind of touches back on what you what you mentioned just really quickly earlier, the idea of equity fluent leadership. Just help me get my mind around exactly what that means and how can leaders embody that? I mean, simple, you, you think about inclusion and try to be as inclusive as possible and you think of it as an asset. And, and I'll just put this in the context of, of today's world. Right now, I, I would say that there's a shortage of talent organizations are trying to go after that type of talent. And what better time uh, to be more inclusive in looking at different types of skills, different types of people, different types of backgrounds to allow you to have more options in, in bringing that talent in an organization. And when you're going to be more inclusive, you're going to be more diverse in thinking about that. And then within the organization, you're going to allow those individuals to take on new responsibilities and, and be part of many different roles and, and responsibilities that you have within an organization. When you're a leader that takes that into consideration, I, I put that aligned with you're a successful leader because you're, you're thinking more broadly and, and you're leveraging that thinking and it's helping the organization and I think it's also helping the community. So when you're when you're on the hunt for good talent and and it is going to be, I think, more challenging as we're sliding into hopefully this post pandemic world and the way in which we work is extraordinarily different now than it was a year and a half ago, where discussions that were, were happening a year and a half ago from services of software platforms or systems and, and what we think is going to happen and how long it could take to do a different modality of work, we've all had to quickly transform in that. So how do you go about hiring for both hiring and training? actually for both character and talent. And I would say a huge cost center is, and from a planning and forecasting purpose, is retention. Because I think what, what we've seen is that if you are not willing to now accommodate or you want to force somebody back into a situation that they're not comfortable with right now, you are going to lose talented people. So how do you straddle that operationally? So first, let me start with the hiring process. I think it's important for any organization to really be clear on the expectations. And, and I can just talk about what we do at Anaplan. I'm sure other mm -hmm. organizations do similar or differently. And so what we do is we weave culture uh, into our job descriptions, right? So we don't just look for the, the critical skills of the technical skills of the job. We also look for the cultural skills that we're looking for. And so we train hiring managers on really how to interview uh, for cultural fit 
um, in addition to the job skills. And I, I learned a lot of this uh, several years ago uh, because we had a, a group of us uh, attend the Disney Institute and, and knowing how Disney mm -hmm. has been hiring for years, they, they put a lot into the culture because the culture of their people is what makes them great entertainers, right? But once they're on board, employees for, in Anaplan uh, take uh, training, right? So we do a lot of things around unconscious bias to help reinforce a lot of the values and the beliefs that we have on inclusion. We also do a couple of other things, um, both for new employees as well as current employees. We have all our employees take a TILT 365 assessment to better understand their preferences and how best they can work and relate with their teammates. This is an assessment that I think is used by, by many companies. Um, and I found this back when I was at Red Hat and I've leveraged it there, but also here at Anaplan. And it allows you to bring your best to an engagement that you're having with someone else on your team, where you understand your strengths, you also understand the strengths of the person you're working with, and you find the best way to get to successful outcomes. We, we wanna to continue to reinforce that um, as, as we continue as an organization. And we also, um, and I've, I've done this now for a number of years, and I've got to credit uh, Cy Wakeman for this, reality-based leadership, which is certain techniques uh, that you use to, you know, diffuse drama out of the workforce. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the things that you can, um, you know, manage egos so that again, mm -hmm. people are working together in the right environment and they're interacting on a personal level, but they're also achieving the, the business results that you need. Sai is a genius. She is, she has helped so many teams. Uh, I'm super excited to hear that you've worked with her. I'm curious to know that I've done several decades of work doing strategic planning and account team planning and all of that forecasting and management. And when we're thinking about sustaining a culture of innovation, which we know is going to require vulnerability, which makes people shudder right away. And if we want to have a culture of innovation in the digital age, I think that the biggest challenge and opportunity for sure right now of the moment is learning how we can overcome these circumstances instead of being overwhelmed by them. Because there are clearly opportunities for success right now during times of crisis and uncertainty. I'm curious to know, because you've had an interesting past work history, how did your earlier roles during non-pandemic times in really big companies like Cisco, Red Hat, uh, and IBM inform the culture that you are working to build right now as the CEO of Anaplan? Uh, great question, Carrie. I've been fortunate uh, to work for some great organizations uh, throughout my career. I think all of us know that those organizations do shape you um, in, in many different ways. I think in, in positive ways and then also in some of the challenges that you face and how you deal with some of those challenges. All of those, uh, the examples that you brought up, IBM, Cisco, Red Hat, um, have helped me learn and also then bring to Anaplan my current role. IBM, for example, a hundred plus year company, uh, a lot of great history. I've been humbled by the perseverance and the commitment that IBM has had to customers, which is a big part of their culture but it's also a culture that's built on the foundation of respect and inclusion from early on uh, to employees. And that, that's, that's been institutionalized through their messaging, their leadership development, their recognition programs. And so I, I learned a lot. I was there for 21 years, so I learned a lot mm -hmm. of that. I was able to kind of take into other organizations. 
when I was the CFO at Cisco, you know, I had a firsthand role as that CFO of really working with a CEO uh, and an executive team that put a lot of emphasis around uh, the company's culture. John Chambers, uh, along with some of my peers, were uh, stewards, cheerleaders, and most importantly, I think really strong role models uh, for Cisco's culture. And, and Cisco went through a tremendous amount of success with that culture. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us felt an ownership and, and we took it seriously and, and it made a difference. And then at Red Hat, um, Red Hat's an open source product uh, development company, but they also had a very open culture, um, really kind of making uh, an, a lot of empowerment, a lot of transparency. Um, and that created a lot of passion and a lot of loyalty um, that I learned from. Um, and I, I was able to bring that uh, into, uh, you know, some of my techniques as, as a leader. So again, a little bit from all the organizations that I've, uh, I've been able to have the fortune to work for. So it sounds like you would definitely consider that ability to be resilient as well as uh, a continual learner is something you'd, you'd plant a, a flag on as a characteristic of, of a high performer. What, what do you think some of the other high achievers and those that are aligned with your characteristics of, of integrity, collaboration, uh, support, diversity, what are some of the characteristics that you really admire in the people that you've worked with for or who've worked with you for you? So I, I was all those things you just mentioned, uh, I, I would, you know, check the box and say, yes, those those are important. One of the things that um, you didn't mention, which I would, um, and, and I try to do this, and it goes back to this question you just asked me, which is where you learn and also where you can help others. And, and I've had great fortune of learning from others. And I've also been in a situation where I can then teach and provide some type of guidance and coaching to others. And leaders that are able to do that, learn from others, but then do the same back and help others are ones that I, I, I think very strongly of. And again, if I look at the organizations that I've been part of, I've had some great leaders that I've learned from, and I've also had some great leaders in organizations that I've led that I feel that I've been able, I was able to contribute to them, to their learning, to their development, um, to their success. And, and that, that goes a long way. And so it, it goes back to kind of what I started, right? It, it's, it's really having empathy for others and understanding and appreciating that uh, what they what they do, what they bring, and how you can help them be successful. What have you found, particularly in the last six months, to be both successful in, in enabling people to do that, and also one of the biggest barriers to people taking that charge on board? The key thing here is how to relieve the stress. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I would say both on a personal and professional, on a personal level, and, and, I, and I, I even talk about this with, um, with the folks at Anaplan. You know, I like to do gardening. Um, I, I, I run, right? Find those outlets that allow you to really, you know, disconnect something completely different, with, especially with the work from home. Whereas before you had to wait till the weekend. Now, you know, just take a break. Go for a walk, go for a run, go do some gardening, right? It allows you to, you know, decompress because there is a lot of stress uh, in the organization. It goes back to, you know, the, the, the culture and the character. I, I firmly believe with all the time that we are doing what we do 
um, hopefully majority of the people love what they do. And it goes back to what I was saying before about having a purpose and, and really making sure that, you know, you feel like you're belonging to that organization. If you can work all that, and then you can also, as part of that, have some fun in what you do, enjoy the people that you work with and have those opportunities. We, we do some fun things in Anaplan. I mean, I've, I've dressed up in a Captain Anaplan outfit uh, to do a video. We, we, we do, uh, you know, karaoke contests. All of that adds to the balance so that everything is not seriously about what you, because it, it helps build you better as a person and as an organization. And if you can bring that mixture both in your personal life as well as in your business life, it allows for that decompression, that, that, that relief of, of some of the anxiety that may be out there. And, and again, it, it builds stronger culture, stronger character, and you're able to get a more energized team that delivers better results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. I know in my work, I think we, you know, one of the things from an organizational perspective that will be interesting moving forward to see how uh, leadership teams balance the idea of do we have to bring everybody back into the office and or how do we still get together then? How do we do incentive trips? How are we going to have our big sales conferences come together? And if we are not um, currently co-located anymore or, or may not be still for the foreseeable future for, for some in our global audience, is that we have to understand, to your point, how important it is to continue recognizing the achievements and the contributions of our team members. Because if they don't feel valued, if they don't feel respected, if we move so quickly from that one success and that one goal that we just achieved to the next one, it's a fast track to burnout, which yes. then loops us right back to the empathy, the feeling valued, the celebrating the work that we do together. It's, it's an entire ecosystem that you can't really skip one of those those boxes, those elements, and not realize that there's not going to be a domino effect to something else. And, and you can be very creative, even in the virtual world, right? And different mm -hmm. things you can do on video and, and bringing people together and just socialize and uh, fun things from, from that standpoint. I think we've learned over the past 18 months, uh, many new ways of, of being doing of doing that even when you can't physically get together. Absolutely. I think part of the virtual space has been uh, has been surprisingly really, really fun. Uh, but you have to lead by example, no different than you do in a non-virtual environment. I always tell people, particularly when we are doing live events, uh, whether it's for 20 people or there are 2,500 people and you see just an enormous amount of little video, you know, little video talking head Hollywood squares. I'm just saying like, hey, my expectation is I'm just telling you right out of the gate. If your kids show up, go ahead and, and you know, have them wave. If a cat hops on your desk, show me your cat. We're not fooling anybody. We all know we're at home. It's okay. Don't you don't have to shush that part of your life away. So I think it can actually be really fun and it adds that level of uh, spontaneity, if you will, and that it humanizes everybody. One example we did with uh, we did this with some Anna planners as well as with customers is we had a virtual across different cities uh, pizza making event. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. One Friday evening, right? You sent the, the, all the ingredients to everyone, and everyone's making pizza virtually in their own kitchen, uh, but also, you know, having fun together and sharing that experience. 
I love that. I think that's such a great way to do that as well. So Frank, I, I'd like to ease you into uh, something a little bit different and just run you through a quick round of rapid fire questions. Are you game? Sure. Let's do it. Um, my first question for you is, what is your go-to music when you work out? Country. Who do you think of as a mentor? And as importantly, what did you need to learn from them? I've had many mentors. You know, I, I spent a lot of time, you know, I'll just put uh, Cisco, uh, John Chambers, our CEO, um, a very outgoing, a very, uh, I, probably one of the best sales uh, executives I've seen. I learned a lot um, working very closely with him from that perspective. It allowed me, I'm an introvert. It allowed me to kind of really kind of test uh, my extrovert uh, capabilities. And as a result, I, I think um, it, it allowed me to be more rounded uh, from that perspective. I was fortunate enough to uh, be at several events where he came in. He seems so kind and he's a great storyteller, but I think the power in how he shares information, whether it's data centric, whether it's the internet of things, et cetera, is that he always threads it back to you. It's rarely about him and how awesome he is. I find that pretty compelling about him. Uh, what is the biggest misperception of you? The biggest misperception. I will share with you, I would not have thought you were an introvert. I, I was going to say that. Uh, you know, I, I had um, a guest on one of our events a couple of years ago. Um, she wrote a book, Susan Kane. We were on the stage and we kind of talked about that. And, and I reflected, and I think uh, to, first to the organization, um, it, you know, revealing that I, I was an introvert. But it also ties back to what you were just asking me about uh, my Cisco experience in John Chambers. I was even more so uh, coming into that role, uh, having a finance background. But I really learned, again, and, and Susan would say the same thing, introverts learn how to be extroverts, right, um, based on the experiences that they have. And that was a great uh, learning experience for me by taking on a different approach. I mean, John held me uh, and, and other leaders um, with, with certain measures, right? How we were doing from a public speaking perspective, both inside the mm -hmm. company and outside. I was determined that I was going to, you know, move up on that leaderboard. And so I developed my skills. I had a coach and, and I put myself out there in a lot of different opportunities and it helped me to, to better balance, um, and, and really kind of come out from that introvert and be a bit more extrovert, but I'll, I'll always be an introvert. I love that. And I think that maybe unwittingly you just also gave a little bit of insight uh, because public speaking means that you are going to feel extraordinarily vulnerable. I just had this discussion a few days ago with, with somebody who asked me if I ever get nervous doing keynotes. And I've done keynotes for, you know, 200 people, for 25,000 people. And I said, every time, every time I do. And it's not that it's, not that I'm afraid, it's that I want it to be impactful. And the people who say they never get nervous when they are doing or partaking in a public speaking role, I can't even get my mind around that. Like, how do you not get nervous about that? So I try to tell my brain, okay, you're not nervous, you're excited, right? Like I, and I am excited, I am glad to be there. I am thrilled for the opportunity and the difference it can make. But, but I'm also, I also want it to make an impact, 
So I have nerves. So I think that's, I appreciate you sharing that vulnerability because again, I think the perception could be that it, particularly for people in very visible leadership roles, that it's always come very easy for them. And that's not necessarily the case. And Susan Cain, brilliant. If you're not familiar with her work, anybody listening, go, go search her out. It's C-A-I-N, brilliant. She's brilliant in what she does. Um, last one. We have $100 and a full tank of gas and the day off. Where are we going? I love the beach. Um, I've taken up surfing um, later in life. And so if I have a chance to go on a trip, it's really kind of drive to the beach and just have some fun out in the, in the water, whether it's surfing or uh, different activities uh, from, from that standpoint. Brilliant. Then, then we may be spirit animals. I am a beach person okay. as well, although I live in Minnesota, so I'll let you get your mind uh, on that one. <laughs> hey, if, if people want to get in touch with you or follow your journey, uh, and you do have a book that's, that's going to be a new release here, where can they find you or connect with you? Um, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. And we also have a uh, website, uh, which is part of Upstanding, which you can actually have uh, different access to the book and various other things that we're going to include on there as well. Oh, I love it. And I can't wait to dive into every bit of that. Frank, thank you for carving out time today. I know you have a super busy schedule, so I really appreciate it. And it's been a pleasure. Carrie, thanks so much. Yes, I've enjoyed it as well. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Welcome to My Office. If you enjoy the show, make sure you take a second to subscribe so you automatically get my new shows when they drop. Also, if you enjoyed the conversation today, I'd love it if you left us a review so that more fearless leaders like you can discover us. It takes less than 60 seconds and it really makes a difference. And I love reading the reviews. I'd also love to hear from you personally on my social channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Clubhouse on occasion. And of course, you can always find me at carrylorenz.com. And finally, my new book, Span of Control, What to Do When You're Under Pressure, Overwhelmed and Ready to Get What You Really Want, is finally out in the world. And I'm super excited about that. I know it'll help you and the teams you lead to identify your priorities, find focus, navigate obstacles, and find success, even during times of chaos or uncertainty. And guess what? It's available at all fine retailers, Audible, and indie bookstores. Always support them near you. So grab a copy for yourself, your team, and maybe even a new graduate or your boss. So thank you again for sharing your time with me today. I'm so glad you're here.